Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and look at Esther chapter 8. Esther chapter 8 is where we're at this morning. I uh, missed being here last weekend. I was down in South Georgia with a friend, Ricky Clemens, doing a marriage retreat for them. I appreciate Danny and the great job he did uh, talking about submission uh, and uh, the order of things. I appreciate that very, very much. Very, very good message. Uh, Esther chapter 8. We've been studying this Old Testament book uh, for a few weeks now and uh, trying to really look at the inspirational application. How, how does this Old Testament story uh, apply to our lives? Esther is a very unique book. Uh, the name of God's not mentioned there, the law, the temple. Uh, none of those things are mentioned, but obviously God is very involved, like we, we just sang a moment ago, and how that he is involved in every aspect and every detail uh, of our lives. The same is true in the book of Esther. He's there in the midst of that story, uh, and certainly there's a a historical application to that, and it really happened. It really uh, took place just as the Bible describes it. There's also a doctrinal application to that that, that relates to the end times, and, and we, we haven't really addressed that very much. And uh, there's a, an inspirational application that applies to our lives. And so what we found out, this king, this sovereign, King Ahasuerus, uh, he, he has a story, and, and it's his story, but his story is also our story. Uh, we're, we're all like him. When we, we come to faith in Christ, uh, we, we put out the, new, the old nature and receive a new nature pictured in, in him putting away Vashti and, and, and welcoming Esther into the palace. And, and that's all done under the influence of, of Mordecai, which is a picture of the Holy Spirit of God working uh, in our lives to bring these things to pass. But, but there's a struggle that comes along in Ahasuerus' life. Uh, rather than putting Mordecai, the one who brought Esther in, the one who's protected him, rather than putting him in charge, he ends up putting this guy named Haman in charge. And when you read the story, God in his word reveals that this guy Haman, he's just not a good dude. Uh, he, he, he's an uh, Agagite, he's the, the son of Hamadatha, he's the enemy of the Jews. Uh, he, he's, just, he's just not a good guy. Uh, he's not the guy you want to have in charge. And, and we saw and, and understood that so often... We have that same struggle. We come to faith in Christ. Uh, we, we bow our knee and we, we, we ask Christ to be our Savior. We, we submit our will to His. And, uh, uh, but we have a tendency then to, to get up from that position of bow before the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And rather than allowing the Holy Spirit of God to control our lives, uh, we put the flesh back in charge. Uh, it's a very natural, normal thing. Uh, now, natural and normal are bad. Uh, the, 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 those aren't good things, those are bad things. Uh, and, and, and we begin to live this Christian life, but we, we attempt to live it in the power of our flesh, not ever really realizing that my flesh is the enemy of everything God wants to do in my life. In fact, just like Haman in our story, where he, he convinces Ahasuerus, the sovereign picture of my will, my soul, he convinces Ahasuerus that that, that the Jews are his enemy, and, the, and, and he, he ends up writing a law, uh, and that law permits everyone in the kingdom to kill the Jews. And, and so Esther and Mordecai uh, realize that this is a bad thing, and, 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 and Esther, she makes that famous statement, you know, if I, if I die, I, you know, I might die, I've been brought to the kingdom for a, for a time such as this, and she goes into the king, and and she gets these banquets, and these banquets, Haman comes, and, and Hasuerus comes, and, and ultimately at the end of the banquet, what happens is Haman gets hung on a gallows. He, 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 he dies on a cross, 
And, and Mordecai is put in charge. Hallelujah. Amen? All right, let's go home. Now, uh, there's more to the story. Uh, in, in fact, you know, we kind of think, you know, wow, how, maybe you haven't read ahead. If you haven't read ahead, you would think, wow, I mean, uh, seems like kind of the story ought to be over now. It kind of seems like we're in a good place. Uh, again, if you, if you apply it to our lives, the flesh is, is hung on a cross, and, and that, that cross is the cross of Jesus Christ. Right? That's what we're to do. We're to recognize, realize that we, we've been crucified with Christ. Right? Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me through the Holy Spirit of God. And so he's in control now. He, he's been moved from, from the gate into the palace, and he's given this position of preeminence in my life. And so maybe we would kind of think that, wow, you know, it, can it get any better than this? Everything's good to go. Well, not necessarily. There's some things that obviously the Word of God still needs to teach us about how to live this Christian life. And he's doing it in story form. Uh, God's painting a picture, a word picture through a story, and it's incredible to see it. So if you would look with me, we'll pick up in Esther chapter 8, and we're going to be in verse number 3. Last time we looked at the first two verses, we'll pick up in verse number 3. And Esther spake again before the king and fell down at his feet and besought him with tears to put away the mischief of Haman the Agagite and his device that he had devised against the Jews. And so if you've been with us, uh, you, you remember the story that, that, that when Haman convinced the king, King Ahasuerus, that the, the Jews were his enemy, he, he, says, he says to Haman, you've got the ring, man. Do whatever you need to do. And, and so Haman goes out and he writes this wall. Uh, and this law says that on the 13th day of the 12th month, you can go out and, and you can kill the Jews and you can take all their stuff. You, you can just feel free to pillage and, and, and do whatever you want and, and they can't defend themselves against you. And, and so that law's been written and that law is still on the books. And so Esther comes before the king knowing that, okay, it's great that Haman's dead now, and it's great that Mordecai is in the palace, but there's this law that's still hanging out there, and so there's still a problem for the Jews. They're, they're facing this 13th day of the 12th month, and, and, and they're going to die. And so she comes before the king, and she says, uh, you know, we need to do something about this. And so pick it up in verse number four. Then the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther. So Esther arose and stood before the king and said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, the thing seem right before the king, and I be pleasing in his eyes. Let it be written to reverse the letters devised by Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite. Do you, you just, do you, do you catch every time God mentions Haman, he reminds us, eh, filthy, rotten scoundrel. He, he's, he's a picture of the Antichrist. He is anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Holy Spirit, anti-the Godhead. And, and, and listen, don't, don't lose sight of the fact that that's my flesh. That's my flesh. That's who my flesh is. And God wants us to get that point. Meanwhile, back here in our story, which he wrote to destroy the Jews which are in all of the king's provinces. Verse 6. For how can I endure to see the, the evil that should come upon my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? So, so Haman has, has written this law, and it's, he, he said that the, the, the Jews are the enemy, and, and so he allows him to, to go and write that law. But, but now Esther's saying, 
king. You, you, you understand now. You see that I'm a Jew. Esther, his wife. And, and you understand that, that Haman was against us. And, and this law that, that's been written, you, you just need to reverse that thing, man. You need to overthrow that law. You need to change that law. Let's get that, that thing off the books, right? Is that her request? That's her request. But, but look what he says. Look down in verse number 8. Skip ahead just a little about the middle of verse 8. For the writing which is written in the king's hand and sealed with the king's ring may no man reverse. The king says, man, I, Esther, I, I feel you. I, I see what's going on. And, and I understand what you're saying. And, and I see more clearly now, but this is the law of the Medes and Persians. You ever heard that phrase? It's, it says the law of the Medes and the Persians. You see, there was this thing about the law of the Medes and the Persians. The, the, it couldn't be reversed. You, you can't reverse the laws of the Medes and Persians. In fact, Daniel, several times, Daniel chapter 6, verse 8, mentions that, O king, establish a decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Verse 12, same chapter. The, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Chapter 6, verse 15, Then the men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, o, uh, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is, that no decree nor statute which the king established may be changed. It's, it's the law of the Medes and the Persians, and the laws of the Medes and the Persians don't change. And so King Ahasuerus says, man, I, I love you, Esther. Uh, I'm for you. Uh, but the law's been written, and the law can't be altered. The law cannot be changed. And so, what we need to understand from that this morning, how, how does that apply to our lives? Although my flesh has been hung on the cross, and the Spirit of God is in control of my life, there is still a law that is written against me that I must understand. That I must understand. It continues to threaten me and my life lived in Christ. We've got to understand that. You see, it goes all the way back to creation. Adam and Eve, Garden of Eden. God creates. He, he comes and he, he, he says to Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply. Replenish the earth. All of this garden is for you except this one tree. There's this tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of that. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And now Satan comes along in the garden and he, he says, Eve, Eve, don't you see this tree? And she, she, she says, you know what it is? It is pleasant to the eyes. It, it, is, it is good for food. It is desired to make one wise. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Three plays that Satan has against you. Using them against Jesus Christ. He's still using them against you today. First John says it's everything that's in the world. You want to do what you want to do, have what you want to have, and be what you want to ha be. Right? That, that's, that's what's happening. He still uses it against us. You know why he doesn't have a new plan? Because the old plan's still working. We still give in to that. In fact, we, we propagate it. We say to our kids, Son, you can be anything you want to be. You can do anything you want to do. You can have anything you want to have. And Satan says, huh, Thank you. 
Thank you for propagating my lie. No need to live in the submission of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You go make your own way, do your own thing. The American dream. I love America. But I'm not a citizen of this country, I'm a citizen of that one. I'm, I'm as patriotic as the day is long. But this world's not my home. I'm just passing through. So, Eve tempts, he, he says to Eve, can, can't you eat of every tree of the garden? Well, we can eat of all of them, but we can't eat of this one. And the day we eat there, we'll, we'll die. Thou shalt not surely die. For God doth know in the day they eat thereof, that you eat thereof, you shall be as God's knowing good and evil. He says, this is, God's just trying to keep something from you you ought to have. So Eve succumbs to the temptation. She eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She sinned. And when she sinned, her husband joined her in the sin, and they died. Now, sometimes we get confused. And we say, no, they, they, they didn't die. They, they continued to live for hundreds of years. Death is not annihilation. Death is separation. Separated from life. They were put outside the garden, separated from God. They died. They died. It's what Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us. The wages of sin is death. And hear me today. The wage will be paid. The wage will be paid. You, you see, that's the, that's the decision in salvation. So maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. Here's your decision today. This pulls it down. Somebody will pay for your sins. The choice is up to you. It'll either be you. You can pay for your own sin by spending an eternity in a Christless hell. Or Christ can pay for your sins through his shed blood on Calvary's cross if you'll put your faith in him. You see, sin will be paid for. When, when, when Christ saved you, he didn't just say, oh, okay, yeah, we'll just, we'll just forget about that. We'll just yeah, we'll push that aside and not worry about it. No, it had to be paid for because it's the law. When, when, when man sinned in the garden, God's justice wrote a law. And that law said sin will be paid for. It's the law of sin and death. The wages of sin is death. That's the law of sin and death. And it's an absolute law of God, written by God, and it will not be reversed. It is still in existence today. Now, hopefully you've come to the place to realize because of that law, I, I'm hopeless, I'm helpless, I can't do anything for myself, so I, I throw myself on the mercy of the court. I, I cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ in desperation, recognizing I can't save myself, I can't do anything for myself. I'm hopeless without you. Please, in your mercy and grace, save me. Hopefully you've made that decision. If you hadn't, today would be the great day to do that. I, I would encourage you to do that. You see, when, when God wrote his law, when it's written down, when God wrote the law, the law, and this, some of you are going to be tempted to trip right here, the law became bigger than him. 
the law became bigger than him. You see, God will always agree with this book. Not, only the so- not, not even the sovereign God can reverse the written law that he has written. L- listen, that's why he says in Psalm 138, verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. That just... I, it, the reason I know you'll struggle with it is because I struggle with it. What? What? You, you magnified your word above your name. The name of God, the sum total of who he is, all of his attributes and his characteristics, the, the total of God. He says, I, I've magnified my word above my name. Now, what he's saying is when, when it's written in the word of God, it is sure. It's what Peter said. We have a more sure word whereunto you do well to take heed. As a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. He, he, it's Peter recounting his experience on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration when the audible voice of God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son. Peter said, we haven't followed cunningly devised fables. We've made known unto you the coming the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I was with him. I was a witness. I was a lie, an eyewitness to the coming. He said it was incredible. But let me tell you something. You have a more sure word. More sure than the audible voice of God is this book that we hold in our hands this morning. That's something worthy of saying hallelujah over. It's amazing that God gave us this book. The sure word of God. It's the law of God. And, and so he says that, that law of God cannot be reversed. And so this law of sin and death entered in with the, with the sin that was committed in the Garden of Eden. And as long as we live in these bodies of flesh, we are under the law of sin and death. That law is in effect in our lives. Well, we, we've talked about Romans chapter 6 where, where Paul says, know that you've been crucified with Christ. Reckon that to be so. Yield yourselves. And then he comes over into chapter 7, Romans chapter 7. And, and, and so we're going to read through this. And, and listen, this is that passage that, that, that's so hard to read, but yet we so clearly identify with. He says, for, for we know that the law is spiritual. But I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If I then do that which I would not, I consent to the law that it is good. Not that it is the more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, he wants to qualify, that, in my, that is in my flesh. I know that in me, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, and the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it's no more I that do it, but sin dwelleth in me. I find in the law that, w- that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Can you, can you hear the frustration? Can you feel the frustration? Have you ever lived that frustration? Man, when I want to do what's right, 
I find myself doing what's wrong. And when I don't want to do what's right, did I say that backwards? When I, when I, when I want to do what's right, I, I end up doing what's wrong. When I, 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 I don't want to do what's wrong, I end up doing what's wrong. I don't know. See, it's, I'm confused, right? We're all confused. We struggle. We struggle in this flesh. It's a conflict. There's a battle. There's a war that goes on. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, now listen to me. If there's not a conflict within you, you need to come to Christ today. The, the absence of conflict is evidence that the Spirit of God doesn't live within you. I've met a lot of people who said, oh, yeah, I'm saved. But there's no manifestation of that in their lives. If that were me, I would question my salvation. For the believer in Jesus Christ, there's a conflict. The flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that you cannot do the things that you would. There's a, there's a battle. There's a conflict that goes on. And that's what Paul's talking about in Romans. He says, man, there's this, there's this warfare going on. We, we come to Christ and we receive him as our Savior. We, we put away the, the, the old nature and we receive the new nature, like typified in the story by Vashti and, and Esther. But, but there's still this enemy. It's the enemy of my flesh, the, pictured by Haman in our story. And so the, the old nature has been dealt with, but there's this residue in my flesh flesh that continues to, to live in this world and continues to live under the law of sin and death. That's why Paul wrote to the church at Colossae. He said, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Hey, you, you've got to die to your flesh. Mortify your members. Get up every day and say, God, I, this mouth is your mouth today. I'm going to speak your words today. This mind is your mind. These are your eyes. I won't only look at things. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. I'm only going to listen to what you want to listen to. I'm only going to touch what you want to touch. I'm going to go where you want me to go. I'm going to mortify my members. I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm living for you. These are your members. This is your body. Come and live through me. That's what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. But standing against that is, is my flesh. My flesh wants to do what my flesh wants to do. And it's powerful. And, and, and so Paul comes to the end of that text in verse 24. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Paul looks at himself and he just says, I'm, I'm wretched. How, how do I get deliverance from this? That's the question that Esther's asking in verse number six. Or, or how can I endure to see the evil that shall come upon my people? And, and how shall I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? That's what she's saying. She's, she's crying out in the same fashion. She's saying, oh, oh wretched man, how, how do we resolve this? There's this law that's written against us. It's the law of sin and death. How can we overcome it if it's irreversible? Now, what do we do? And Ahasuerus has the answer, verse number 7, And the king Ahasuerus said unto the, Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given the house, Esther the house of Haman, and him have they hanged upon the gallows, because he laid his hand upon the Jews. Write ye also for the Jews as it liketh you, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring. For the writing which is written in the king's name and still with the king's ring, may no man reverse. 
You see, what Ahasuerus says is this. You can't overturn the old law. We can't reverse the old law. What you have to do is write a new law. A new law that will supersede the old law. The old law is going to stay in effect. You, you can't overcome it. You can't get rid of it. You can't, just, you can't just sweep it under the rug and pretend like it never existed. It's there. The only answer, the only solution is to write a new law that will supersede the old law. The same is true in our story. The same is true in our lives as in our story. If we're going to live in victory, if we're going to live with victory over the flesh, then there has to be a new law, a higher law written that will supersede the old law. And, and again, back in Romans chapter 7, verse 24 and 25, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Verse 25, he answers, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Who's going to deliver me from the body of this death? Thank you, God. You're going to deliver me through Jesus Christ my Lord. The last part of the verse, so then with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. My flesh is going to serve the law of sin, but with my mind, with my will, with my soul, with who I am, I'm going to serve the law of God. My, my flesh, if I, if I let my flesh be in control, then we're going to live in sin. It is a natural result. When you go to Galatians chapter 5, he says, here are the works of the flesh, and he lists them there, and here is the fruit of the Spirit. If I live in the flesh, this is what's coming out in my life. If I live in the Spirit, this is what's coming out in my life. It's a natural result. And so he says, with my mind, I'm going to serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin, cross over into chapter 8, verse 1, therefore, there is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, hallelujah, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's no condemnation for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus have made me free from the law of sin and death. I've been set free. I'm free from the law of sin and death. I'm a sinner. I deserve death. But the, the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from that law. It's a greater law. It's a, a law that supersedes the old law. He sets me free. It's something to rejoice over. Even though I'm saved, even though I'm born again, the law of sin and death is still on the books. It still affects me. And it still affects you. We're delivered through Jesus Christ by this new law. The law of sin and death is still in effect. Just like in our story, Ahasuerus can't overturn the law. That, that law is going to go on. It's going to go forward on the 13th day of the 12th month. They're going to have that right to go out and kill the Jews. But what Ahasuerus says, we need to write a new law so that you guys can defend yourselves. And listen, when they saw what had happened to Haman, nobody in the kingdom wanted to mess with the Jews anymore. They'd figured it out. The same thing's true in our lives. I, 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 use the, I feel like I use this illustration way too much. It's a great illustration, so I'm going to use it. You've probably heard it before. You ever flown on an airplane? Most of us have. You know, if you're not especially bright like me, you think it's a pretty amazing feat. 
that, that you, know, you get on this huge chunk of metal, hundreds and hundreds of people with hundreds and hundreds of suitcases, because there's women flying. <laughs> they got all that stuff they brought along. And this incredibly heavy chunk of metal with all these humans and all their junk goes down a runway and, and I'm guessing at the end of the runway what happens is there's a, there's a switch in the, in the cockpit where, where the pilot flips off the law of gravity so now that that plane can, can break free and, and fly me across the world and, and land me safely in another place. That's it, right? He's got that anti-law of gravity switch. He, 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 if he flips that switch, the law of gravity ceases to have impact on that plane. Some of you got me worried because you're kind of thinking that's really how it works. <laughs> that's not really how it works. In fact... I need, I need, we need to move on. <laughs> what happens is the law of gravity is still in effect. It doesn't defy the law of gravity, but there's a law that supersedes the law of gravity. It's the law of aerodynamics. And because of the laws of aerodynamics, this big chunk of metal with all these people and all their junk is able to defy the law of gravity. And, and, and lift up and, and, and carry you across the planet and land you safely. It's an amazing thing. It, it's the same thing as the law of sin and death and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus didn't, didn't stop the law of sin and death from being in effect. It is still in effect to this day. There's just a new law that supersedes that old law. It's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Now, now, let's take that plane scenario again. God forbid you get on that plane and, and you break free from the law of gravity and, and you get halfway to your destination, like out over the Atlantic Ocean somewhere, and the pilot says, you know, I don't think this law of aerodynamics is so important. We're just going to quit operating on the basis of the laws. Just cut those engines off. I don't think they're that important. You heard the story about the guy that was flying, right? Four-engine plane, pilot comes on and says, I'm, you know, when the pilot comes on, you know, it's never good news. Right? They never get anything good to tell you. Hey, uh, we, we, we've lost an engine, but hey, everything's okay. We've got three others. We're just going to be a little later getting in. A few minutes later, he comes back on. Hey, we, we lost a second engine, and, and it's It'll be a little later. Ultimately, the third engine goes out, and, and, and the guy's sitting next to another guy, and he says, you know, man, if that fourth engine goes out, we're gonna, it's going to take all day to get there. <laughs> if, if you lose all four engines, and you cease to function under the laws of aerodynamics, what happens? The law of gravity takes over. And then... It's all pretty bad from there. The same thing's true in your life. 
when we cease to operate under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the law of sin and death takes over. You, you begin to function. I'm not saying you lose your salvation. Not, not at all. But you're functioning under that old law. You're living in the flesh, and sin brings forth death. Again, not annihilation, separation. And you're living outside of the power of the Spirit of God in your life. So there's, there's this new law. It's the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And as long as, as the Spirit of God's in control, and He's got the ring, and He's in the palace, and He has the preeminence, as long as He's leading and governing my life, and I'm living in, in submission to Him, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus supersedes the law of sin and death, and, and I'm functioning under that law. But the second that I cease to live under the control of the Spirit of God, I revert back to the flesh. The law of sin and death takes over in my life. You, you can't reverse that law. Does that make sense? It's true. It's true. Pick it up in, uh, pick it up in verse 9. We're going to lead up, read down through verse 14 here, but just, just kind of get it. Then, uh, then were the king's scribes called at that time in the third month, that is, the month Sivan, on the, thir- on the three and twentieth day thereof. And it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded unto the Jews and to the lieutenants and to the deputies and the rulers of provinces, which were from India and Ethiopia, 127 provinces, unto every province according to the writing thereof, and unto every people after their language, and to the Jews according to their writing and according to their language. And he wrote in the king Ahasuerus' name and sealed it with the king's ring and sent letters by post on horseback and riders of mules and camels and young dromedaries. Wherein the king granted the Jews, which were in every city, to gather together and to stand for their life, to destroy, to slay, and to cause to perish all the power of the people in the province that would assault them, both their little ones and the women, and to take the spoil of them for the prey. And upon one day in all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus, namely on the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, a copy of the writing for a commandment uh, to be given in every province as published unto all the people and that all the Jews should be ready against that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. Now, again, I hope you noticed that, that key phrase that was right there. That day to avenge themselves on their enemies. If I could take a minute and just step into the doctrinal application. There is a that day coming very soon. When all the world will gather together in the valley of Jehoshaphat, a place called Armageddon, below Megiddo, and all the armies of the world will gather there against the nation of Israel, and the blood will run to the horse's bridle, and Israel will avenge themselves on their enemies. The whole world is against that little nation over there right now. Hang on, brother. They will defeat their enemies. So the post, verse 14, uh, that rode upon mules and camels went out, being hastened and pressed by the king's commandment, and the decree was given in Sh- at Shushan the palace. And so there's, there's this new law. It's been written. And so the law of sin and death, again going back to our story, it came into effect in Genesis 2 because of God's holiness and God's righteousness. He, he can't just sweep your sin under the rug. He, he can't just say, oh, you know, that's okay. We'll just excuse that. No, it has to be paid for. 
because God is righteous and God is just. It, it can't just be dismissed. So sin will be paid for. That's why what Paul says to the church at Colossae, uh, listen to what he says, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, and you being dead in your sins, why were we dead in our sins? Because of the law of sin and death. We are sinners. The wage of sin is death. That, that's, that's where we're at without Christ. Dead in our sin. Again, not annihilation. Separation. Without Christ, you are without God and without hope. You're separated from God by your sin. It's your sin. I can't believe God would do that. God didn't. I did. I'm a sinner. My sin separates me from a holy and a righteous God. And so, you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. When he, when he says the uncircumcision of your flesh, what he's saying is, if you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you have no option but to live in the flesh. Because your flesh has not been circumcised. Now, I'm not talking about a medical procedure that, that, that's done you know, on, a, on a male child when they're born. I'm talking about the separation that happens within a person when they come to faith in Jesus Christ. The Word of God is sharp, sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. What happens when you come to Christ? Before you came to Christ, you're a dichotomy, right? You, you, you have a dead spirit, you have a live body and a live soul. And when you come to Christ, you're, you get circumcised. God cuts away the filth of your flesh. That's why as a believer in Jesus Christ, I no longer have to serve the flesh. If you're not a believer in Christ, all you can do is serve the flesh. That's why without faith, it's impossible to please God. But when you come to faith, God cuts away that flesh. And I no longer have to serve it. He set me free. I've been circumcised from my flesh. He cut away the filth of my flesh. We're separate now. Before that, I was dead in sins and the uncircumcision of my flesh. But hath he quickened together with him through, through his resurrection, through the power of the resurrection, he quickened me. He made me alive. That's not that, you know, we, some people say, well, that's such an old English word. We need to change that word. Be careful changing God's word. You'll get in trouble. We understand quickened. Come up here and let me cut your nails and cut them too deep, and you'll understand quickened, right? Oh, wow. What are you doing, man? We got into the quick. Oh, that part that was alive. You hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. Now, now listen, don't, don't, don't misunderstand. He, it, it, it was a forgiveness because the price was paid. He didn't just say, oh, okay, let's just forget about it. No, verse 14. He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way. How? Nailing it to his cross. Nailing it to his cross. You see, my sin sent Jesus Christ to the cross. 
There's a lot of people today that are anti-Semitic. Oh, the Jews killed Jesus. The Jews didn't kill Jesus. I killed Jesus. He died for my sins. Anti-Semitism is a terrible thing. Well, the Romans did it. No, I did it. I did it. It was for my sins that he died. Paul's, he's writing in a, in a Roman economy. And in a Roman economy, when a person committed a crime, there was a certificate of death that was written. Not death, debt. And, and they would list their offenses, and they would list what they owed because of their offenses. And when they, when they went into a jail cell, they, they nailed that letter, that, that, that handwriting of ordinances that was against them. You violated this ordinance, and you violated this ordinance, and you violated this ordinance, and here are the penalties for that. Here's the time that you'll spend based on your violation of those ordinances. But when they had finished their sentence, the paper was taken out, it was stamped, paid in full. You can go free now. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, when I put my faith in his shed blood on Calvary's cross, he stamped my account, paid in full. You can go free now. Your debt has been paid, but don't misunderstand. It had to be paid. You and I go free, but he paid for it. We should not cheapen sin. Our favorite verse is 1 John 1, 9. Well, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgives us our sins, cleanses for all unrighteousness. That may be easy for us to quote. But it costs him everything. He nailed it to his cross. And Mordecai went out, verse 15, from the presence of the king in the royal apparel of blue and white and with a great crown of gold and with a garment of fine linen and purple. Wow. Ah, there's a lot there. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. You, you remember chapter 3? When Haman made the decree, wrote the law, it's the law of sin and death equivalent. Remember, remember what was going on in Shushan that day? The Bible told us that the whole city was perplexed. It was perplexed. Now, with this new law, the city's rejoicing. They're glad because there's a new law. Even though, even though the day hasn't come yet, even, even though it, it hasn't been realized yet, it, it's recognized that the day is coming. And in light of the coming day, I'm going to rejoice in that because I know it's sure. Can we get a little bit of that? Can we get a little bit of that today and figure out that even though the day hasn't come yet, the redemption of the body, when, when, it, when he will redeem the purchased possession, it hasn't happened yet, but it's coming. Regardless of what you're going through today, regardless of what's happening in your life, regardless of what you're facing in your situation, in your circumstance, He redeemed me. He's coming to get me. And I have eternity in Christ. Can we celebrate in that today? Man, alive. I'm so tired of Christians who are all beaten down and despondent and discouraged and defeated. Man, there's a new law. 
that overcomes the law of sin and death is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. He took the handwriting of ordinances that was against me and he mailed it to his cross. I deserve hell. But he paid my debt. He set me free. Why would I ever go back and live in bondage? We've been set free. It ought to bring about some incredible changes in our lives. The Jews had light, verse 16, and gladness, and joy, and honor. And in every province, and in every city, whatsoever the king's commandment and his decree came, the Jews had joy, and gladness, and a feast, and a good day. Just the, the proclamation of the new law brought light in what was an otherwise dark world. It brought gladness and joy in what was otherwise a, a depressed world. It brought honor. That, that, that ought to be true of us, right? We, we have the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We have Jesus who is the light of the world. We, we ought to live lives of gladness. We ought to live lives of joy. We ought to live honorable lives because of who Christ has made us. The world can't believe that we have a life-changing message. If we live a life that hasn't been changed. If we're under the same darkness and depression and defeated, if we're living that way like everybody else, why would they want what we got? Can, this is going to sound harsh. So brace for impact. If you're going to live like that, just a favor and don't tell anybody you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You know, just keep that to yourself. Kind of be that under, you know, undercover Christian. Just don't tell people. He doesn't need that reputation. The other thing he says in verse 17, latter part, and many of the people of the land became Jews for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. Obviously, in this Old Testament economy, the, the way you had a relationship with God was through the Jewish nation, through the nation of Israel. You had to become a proselyte of the Jewish nation. The result of them living that out, the result of them living under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in our context, living under that new law, was it bore fruit. If we'll live under the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, if we will live with the Spirit of God in control, in the palace, in a place of preeminence, it'll bear fruit in our lives. Amen. There's those nine things in Galatians chapter 5. Walk in the Spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, and peace, and long-suffering, and gentleness, and goodness, faith, and meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. There's no law against those things. 
You, you live that out. There's nothing against it. it. It'll bear fruit in our lives. It'll bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Those things will be realities in our lives. It's not like, you know, oh, yeah, 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 well, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty good with that whole love, joy, peace thing, but the long-suffering and gentleness, you know, I'm not, I'm just, that's just not me. Yeah, that's the problem. It is the Spirit of God, and if I would put Him in control, He would manifest all nine of those fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. Not, it's not, oh yeah, I need to work on that a little bit. No, what you need to do is die. What I need to do is die to my flesh so the Spirit of God can live through me. And He'll produce those things. But it's not just the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of a reproduced life. If you were in adult Bible studies this morning, if you weren't, you should have been. I'd encourage you to get involved. We talked about being a multiplying community. We, we talked about reproducing the life of God that's within us. I don't know if everybody talked about Edward Kimbrell, but Edward Kimbrell is a man that most of us, until this morning, had no idea who he was. Never heard his name. But he taught a Sunday school class of little boys. One day he went out and led a young man to Christ whose name is D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody's lineage goes all the way to Billy Graham. Ultimately, Billy Graham is in that family tree. Hundreds of millions of people heard and received the gospel of Jesus Christ because one elementary Sunday school teacher was faithful where God put him. You want to change the world? You want to change the world? Live under the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Right where you're at. God can take your life and change the life of another individual. And I don't know what that individual might do. I don't know. It really doesn't matter because success isn't caught up in the numbers. We're impressed with an Edward Kimbrell story because of the numbers. It's just it's amazing. It is an amazing story. I, I love it. But you know, Edward Kimbrell wasn't successful because in his lineage is a guy named Billy Graham. Edward Kimbrell, Edward Kimbrell, I can't say it, was successful because he lived in obedience to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he was faithful right where he was, led by the Holy Spirit of God one day to go to a shoe shop, muster up the courage, and he said it took a lot of courage for him to walk into that shoe shop and tell that child about Jesus Christ. But he did it. He obeyed. And because he obeyed, he was successful. And the same is true with you and I. Just living a life of obedience to Christ. How do I get to that place? If you're here today and you don't know if you died, you'd go to heaven. You've got to come to Christ. You've got to decide a choice, an act of your own will to let Jesus pay for your sins. You will make a decision today. Listen to me. You will make a decision today. It'll either be to let Christ pay for your sins or to continue on that track of you paying for them. And you paying for them results in an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Right. 
I would encourage you today to get off that path and come to Christ. He will forgive you. Many of us have made that decision, but we still live in the flesh. We, we still got our flesh in control. We, we haven't chosen to allow the Spirit of God to take over and hang the flesh on the cross. We, we're, maybe you're trying to control your flesh and you're trying to harness it and, 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 and beat it down and whip it into shape. None of that will work. There cannot be a peaceful coexistence. It requires death. And that death happened 2,000 years ago, but you've got to know that by faith, take account of it, reckon it to be so, and then yield yourself to God. If you haven't done that today, I'd encourage you to do that. It starts, it's a once-for-all decision, but it's something you'll have to repeat every day of your life. Mortify your members. There's those of us who have, have done that, but we've not realized that we need to live under that new law, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And because of that, we go out into our lives, oftentimes under the circumstances, right? You ever heard anybody say, how you doing? I'm okay under the circumstances. Well, what are you doing under there? What are you doing under the circumstances? You don't have to live there. Christ set you free. Oh, you don't know what's going on in my life. And, and listen, I'm not minimizing the difficulty and the struggles that we face in life. But regardless of the situation, I mean... If I die today, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. What are you going to do to me? Let's get out from under the circumstances. Let's quit living under the law of sin and death and live under that new law, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you today. Thank you today for your word. Lord, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that it's true. We're so grateful that you've given us a copy in our language that we can understand. And Lord, we thank you for that and we, we praise you for that. And we praise you that, that through your son, Jesus Christ, you set us free from the law of sin and death. And you wrote a new law through your death on the cross. The law of the spirit of life. You've given us the freedom to live under that law. That's what we want to do because we want to glorify you. We, want, we recognize that, that you died for all because all were dead. And that's us. And that we shouldn't henceforth live unto ourselves but unto you because you died for us. Father, I pray today for people that are here that don't know your son as their savior. There's people, probably people who've been in church for a long, long time. But they don't know if they died, they'd go to heaven. I pray you'd help them to change courses today and, and allow your son to pay their sin debt. There's those of us today as believers who, who've not reconciled and, and, and resolved to, to die to our flesh. Lord, I pray you'd help us to make that decision today. There's others of us today who live under the circumstances, not allowing the joy and the, the light and, and the happiness and, and the good day to be a reality in our lives because we can't see past our circumstances. Help us today to overcome that, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to begin to sing this morning. We have altar workers who are here to help you. If, if you don't know if you died, you'd go to heaven. We would love to help you with that. We won't embarrass you. We just take you to the privacy of a prayer room, show you from the Word of God how you can know for sure if you died, heaven would be your home. 
If you don't know for sure today, I, I invite you to come. You don't want to pay your own sin debt. The price is too high. Maybe you're here today and you're a believer and you know you're living in the flesh. <laughs> it's a once-for-all decision to say, Lord, I'm going to appropriate your death on the cross. Nail it there. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling, living under the circumstances, and you want to come and just say, God, set me free from that. Help me to live in the spirit of life. I want to live in that happiness and in that joy. I want a light day. I want a good day. Help me to live in that reality today. Whatever your need is today, God, God wants to meet it. But he won't force it on you. You have a will. He'll let you choose. While we sing, if God's spoken to you, you come while we sing. Let God do in your life. What else? preached last week is fits right in with what we're talking about submission we struggle with that don't we we, we don't even like the sound of the word most people who teach on marriage today yeah, they, they won't talk about submission no, don't, don't use that that's a buzzword you know the key to freedom submission the key to freedom submission no I'm I'm in charge I'm the captain of my own destiny yes you are that's a problem because your destiny is not a good place when you're when you're leaving when it comes to salvation it's a bad place a place called hell when you're attempting to live this Christian life and, and you're in charge the law of sin and death is still in control. And its effects are still on you. You don't want to live like that. You want to be set free from that. It starts with salvation, but it doesn't end there. Again, if you were in Bible study this morning, Matthew 28, the Great Commission, reach people with the gospel, baptize them. You saw that illustrated this morning. And then teach them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. That's called discipleship. God doesn't intend for you to do this on your own. That's why he came up with this idea. That's why he came up with the idea of the church. I love his idea. I think it's awesome.
I know I couldn't make it without it. He gives us one another to do life with. And discipleship is the ultimate in that. It's, it's a one-on-one relationship with, with somebody, maybe who's a little, someone who's a little farther down that continuum than you are, who can help you go down that same continuum. In the back of the seat in front of you, there's a card there. You can look on the back side of that card. It's a welcome card, but on the back side of that card, you, you can put your name on there and say, I, I'm interested in discipleship. If you'll do that, we'll contact you and, and help you take the next steps, which is first step is a, a cost of discipleship class because we don't want you getting into anything you hadn't counted the cost on. But we would love to get you involved in that cost of discipleship class and then from that cost of discipleship class, paired up into a relationship where you can grow as a believer in Jesus Christ and live under the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Amen? That's where you want to be. We get so busy, don't we? I got no time for stuff like that. How much time do you think it's going to be in in eternity? How how long am I going to stand before my Savior? Before I realize what mattered in life. How many follows you've got on social media? I don't think it's going to rank. I don't think how many entertaining experiences you had in life or what your position was in your work or how nice your house was or what kind of car you drove. I don't think any of that's going to matter. How many days did I live in the, under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus? That's, that's what's going to matter. How many of these days that he gave me did I live under that law and not under the law of sin and death? That'll be what matters. I encourage you today. Live under that law. Amen. Thanks for being here this morning. We're, we're honored uh, for you to be here and to worship with us. 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 Be here and to worship with us.